Chapter 2. James shouted himself awake. His eyes wide and his heart pounding. He sat himself up and remembered, once again, that horrible, horrible day. He recalled that the funeral was held the following Wednesday in a small chapel near the edge of the valley. The Mackenzie family were well-loved and well-known so there were many who came to pay their respects. For James, it was unbearable. After the incident, life at home was never the same again. James felt so empty and lost, and often blamed himself for what happened. If only I hadn't dropped that stupid piece. If only I'd picked it up straight away, we never should have been there. What a stupid idea to build a soccer bot. We could have just played station. The list of ifs, buts and maybes were very long. Every time he thought about that day, he only found another way to blame himself. His mother blamed him too, and even after twenty-four years James would still hear her say, between tears. You were his brother James. You should have taken care of him. She can no longer bear to talk to him or look at him, he looked too much like his brother. It seemed as if James's very presence broke his mother's heart. James never did tell her, or anybody for that matter, that it was him who dropped the metal bar that pierced his brother's chest. He felt too guilty to confess. Mr. Mackenzie, on the other hand, did not seem to take Caleb's death as hard at first. But it was only a matter of time. As the years went on, James noticed his father spending more and more time at work. By the time James had left home it seemed as if his parents' relationship had almost disintegrated completely. This too, seemed to be all his fault. Snap out of it James, James shook his head, trying to shake off decades of guilt and regret, there's nothing you can do now. He climbed out of bed and started his morning getting ready for work routine. On the outside, James had weathered the emotional wounds of his brother's death well in recent years. Somehow he had covered it over, making it less evident to the people around him. Yet the pain and guilt remained deep within him, and those who knew him well could see it written in the lines on his face, and see within his eyes the scars of his heart. There was no hiding the deep wound that losing his twin brother had left. Not even to himself. James could see this pain now as he stared at himself in the bathroom mirror. He thought about that day and, like many people who have lost someone they loved, wished he could erase those lines and change the past. He splashed the mirror and his face. He couldn't change the past, nor remove those lines. He needed to get his act together, and needed to get ready for work. It was the year 2084. Taxes were high, birth rate was low and, if you were wealthy enough, life expectancy was whatever you chose it to be. The world consisted of only six United Nations, delegated by the global leadership of 2067. Deciding to do what it said on the tin, they simplified all world powers and nations based on geographical location and economic power resulting in the United Nations of America, UNA, the South United Nations of Brazilian America, Sunba, Kuwaitia, Japorsland, the United Territories of Africa, TUTA, and Britopia. Solutions had also been found for all the liberal waste that had built up over the generations. Decades of pollution and plastic manufacturing had resulted in a semi-permanent weather system that was affectionately donned fuzzy grey, a light misty cloud made up of air pollution that mostly surrounded cities. 
although billions in world currency were spent in the 10s and the 20s to combat the issue of what was called climate change, kilotons of plastic were still produced daily. A decade later, all this plastic was then piled together and burnt to relieve the severe congestion in rivers and expanses of useful land. They say it was these great plastic burnings of the 30s and 40s that caused every city to have their very own version of fuzzy grey. It was also during the 2060s that the top-tier United Nations established a trade agreement with the lower-tier nations, waste would be sent away to be processed in exchange for food and basic medical aid. Whether this agreement was entirely ethical or not could only be a matter of opinion. For the last 20 years this was how the world was run and, if you were lucky enough to live in a top-tier nation, you would do well to go through your day blissfully unaware of it all. James lived in a city called the Valley, in the top-tier United Nation of Britopia. Previously called Nice, the Valley is surrounded by the Greater Valley and sits between the ever-aging majestic Alps on one side and the sea on the other. Although fuzzy grey and the various dumps and scrap yards scatter the Greater Valley, it was rather picturesque. Compared to the modern world of the early millennium, the world was a very different place. Some would argue it was better, but for most, life equated to mere existence, one preferred to escape into a virtual bliss where worlds were brighter, better and life invented, rather than endured. It was an era where doing life is easy but living was restrictive. It was the era that James Mackenzie found himself in. James stopped the car in front of the cold glass and stainless steel building and sat there, staring at it. It was 8.17 on a Tuesday morning. The air is cleaner today, he thought to himself. On most days, visibility was only 60 meters or so before one started to see the fuzzy grey. Today the air was cleaner. The soft southwesterly breeze kept all the usual smog on the run, and he was able to see through the glass windows and read the large screens. Welcome to Emotion. Change the way you feel about the past, try X-Life. He'd seen this before. Emotion had been advertising the launch of their new product in all the usual places, inside the drone drops, on the walkways, even on the side of his 8% milk box that he used for breakfast this morning. It's a name and slogan that had been keeping him awake at night from the first day he read it. He inhaled deeply, taking in the old leather and petrol smell of his vintage 2015 Ford Mustang Shelby GT350. He didn't take her out often, but when he did, he always took the long way to work. He just couldn't get enough of the noise and the smell that the classic petrol cars made, and the Mustang's engine made a really good sound even with the required CO2 suppressor on. You're well worth the B42 Britcoins per litre Shelby, he said with a twinkle in his eye. He shook his head like a child with an eight ball, hoping to get a different answer, put his foot down on the pedal and sped off. James Mackenzie parked his canary yellow, thick black racing stripe down the centre Mustang in the CEO's spot, and headed inside the slowly revolving solar glass building. This building was only one of the many ideas born out of the Innovation Hub, James's proudly founded company. It was a building that rotated in sync with the sun, so it always had the best views but none of the glare. For this invention to go from good to great, James made sure that instead of normal glass, this building was fitted with solar glass, glass filled with micro-solar absorbers that converted sunlight into energy, just as a solar panel would do. 
Its design was so pristine that even on the foggiest of days there would be some trickle of energy being generated, making it one of the most eco-friendly buildings in the city. The entire concept of the Innovation Hub was an idea James had about five years ago, and he was proud of how all its programs and inner workings ran off this clean energy. He founded the Hub with the dream that anyone, from anywhere and with any idea, could come and meet in a central location and develop it, whether it be virtual or material. Through the Hub, James and his team had launched the careers of musicians, developed hollow games, and designed laser-cut homes which were distributed for the gridless. The hub had its own beverage bar, a games area and even a quiet zone to encourage creative ideas to ebb and flow. If you ever saw the CEO of the Innovation Hub walking through his building on any given day, you would have seen a Mr. James McKenzie, a 36-year-old, six-foot-something with shaggy dark hair and a well-kept beard. He often wore pinstripe trousers with a waistcoat, no jacket, and in a shirt with the sleeves rolled up. On other days you would spot him in a pair of scruffy jeans and in a v-neck t-shirt of his own design. He had a large animated ink sleeve on his left arm, which he would often leave paused on one of the historic Big Five of the Serengeti. James had taken some of his favorite pictures from the Earth's archives and presented them to Troy, his graphic design-slash-skin artist colleague and friend, to recreate the world he wished he could have seen. After multiple sessions and hours of programming, James's arm became a true piece of art. With incredible detail, you would see the mane of the lion flowing in the wind as it ran through the long Serengeti grass, the leopard is captured lying over a branch of a thorn tree, licking his lips from the hindquarters of a gazelle and swinging its tail in typical cat-like delight, as it charges towards you, the rhinoceros' nostrils are flaring, his eyes fixed and burning with anger, at a beautiful waterhole, a buffalo is found standing and drinking while an elephant with its baby play happily in the water, flapping their ears and showering each other with their trunks. It was like a completely different world to the one they lived in, and a welcome escape for James and those who had the pleasure of meeting him. Troy believed it was one of the most ambitious pieces of work he'd ever completed. Today, the CEO had it paused on the lion. As he strolled into his office he was greeted by a familiar voice, you have a hologram from Malagy said Kirk, James's virtual assistant. Would you like to see it? Yes, thanks Kirk. A hologram of Malagy appeared before him. Hi James, I wanted to thank you in person for the supplies you sent, the group really appreciates it a lot. Short message but you know how we are. Hope to see you around soon. Out. Reply not available for this holler, Kirk announced. That's okay, thanks Kirk. James motioned as he sat down in front of his holographic computer and got to work. He had an awesome new project to work on, but one that required a lot of focus as he needed to keep it a secret. The plan was to build the bird cage, a tech-free room with a built-in Faraday cage that ensured no one, not even government surveillance, could detect. It also protected information from accidentally getting out. But it had to look like a normal room otherwise they would have a lot to answer for. Although everyone was used to it, James still felt uncomfortable at the lack of true privacy he was being afforded in his life, and he often found moments where such safe spaces were too scarce to bear, especially as he worked on some somewhat subversive projects. After lunch, James returned to his office to start working on another project when he noticed an envelope on the left side of his desk. 
That's strange, James thought. I hardly ever see physical letters, it must be important. He reached out to pick it up and inspected it closely, turning it over in his hands. The paper was dated and it had a wax seal stamped on the back. He looked closer at the seal, it had a monogram. A.W. What does that stand for? James tore open the letter and found nothing but a blank piece of paper. He frowned, flicked it open and held it up to the light. Apart from a faint fingerprint in the bottom right corner there was nothing to be seen. James looked closer at the print, it appeared to be made by a man's thumb, particularly the right thumb, and it looked very familiar indeed. Almost, in fact, like his very own. Amused, James placed his right thumb over the paper and firmly onto the position of the print. It was an exact match. As soon as his finger met the paper, writing began to appear. At the very top appeared the emblem of the wax seal, now with the words Exodus Acta Probat underneath. Then the body of the letter materialized before him. It read, Dear Mr. James Duncan Mackenzie, Congratulations, you have been shortlisted. We will make contact with you soon. Do not speak of this. Sincerely the A.W. James clutched the paper hard. Who are these people? What are they talking about? He was so lost in thought he didn't notice that his right thumb began to burn. Ouch! He yanked his finger away and dropped the letter on his desk. What was once a faint fingerprint now looked like a red-hot coil. Then, without warning, the paper burst into flames. It was incinerated in split seconds. James sat there in silence and deep contemplation. Was this some new type of spam? Is someone after the innovation hub? Maybe this was a new idea for the innovation hub to get behind. It certainly got the CEO's attention. Or was it something more official, more governmental than that? A sect? A private agency? Did he do or say something wrong and is he now being watched in his every waking moment? It took him a few minutes to get his mind back where it should be. He stood up from his desk and walked over to the chef bot, calling over to Troy. Can I interest you in a glass of aqua on the rocks? That was their code for I need to talk about something without the ears listening in. As James poured his own glass, he removed an ice block and pushed it against his burnt thumb. I may need this fingerprint later. Troy came over. I bruv, cheers for the refreshment invite. The chef bot made enough noise to drown out James as he whispered. It's time to start building the birdcage. Can I leave it up to you to organize some guys and get it sorted? I, for sure bruv, consider it done. He replied just as the chef bot fell silent. Troy then spoke in his normal confident tone. A hey, bruv, I've been meaning to tell you, it seems you need to take summer and a time mate. You've been grafting well hard, think it's time you let your hair down. You dig? James tilted his head in reserved agreement. MMH okay, maybe you're right, I'll give it some thought, thanks Troy. James walked back to his desk and looked again at the million of projects on his to-do list. One of these was his very own The Morgans project. Once Troy had designed and built the birdcage, James could then bring more sensitive projects to the table, such as his own idea to manufacture DIY submersible houses for the Morgans. The Morgans was a slang name adopted by the group of people that chose to live off the grid, essentially living as free men. 
Rumor had it that they borrowed their name from an actor in the late 20th-slash-early 21st century called Morgan Freeman. James had a soft spot for the Morgans. A big part of him was envious of their freedom, and he often considered joining them. But he felt that he could do more for the movement and cause of freedom by being right where he was, and this was one of those times. There was only so much to do and plan before the birdcage was built, however, and after engaging in another long list of projects that afternoon, James was starting to envy the Morgan sense of freedom. Maybe Troy's right. I should do something fun. When was the last time I actually did something unrelated to work? Oh yes, it was that virtual bar. What was it called? He sat there thinking for a few moments. V Jazz. Yep, thanks Troy, he said out loud to himself. I really enjoyed going there. I think I'll go there again tonight. He sat up straight, buoyed by the excitement of this evening's plans, and began to daydream about what type of suit he could design to wear.